breakbeat is a type of groove that uses samples taken from classic funk recordings, loops them, and reuses them as grooves for all new tunes. If you map it through its subsequent subgenres, it's wild to think about how far some of those 60s funk recordings have gone. Welcome to Strong Songs, a podcast about music. I'm your host, Kirk Hamilton, and I'm so glad you've joined me to talk about break beats, progressive beats, big beat acid breaks, and sometimes just plain old beats played by drummers. Strong Songs is an entirely listener-supported podcast, which means that the only way I make money from the show is thanks to listeners like you signing up on Patreon. If you want to support me making Strong Songs and get early access to new episodes, go to patreon.com slash strong songs to find out more. On this episode, we are tracking a single song through the decades as it undergoes two huge transformations, going from an underappreciated gem to a beloved classic to an even more beloved worldwide hit. So let's strum our pain, let's sing our life, and let's get it going. around in the 1990s, and in particular, if you were young in the 90s, you probably have some strong memories associated with certain recordings. And if you're anything like me, you have some very strong memories associated with hearing this particular singer singing this particular song. Are you back there now? Can you see it? Can you feel it? Lauren Hill's rendition of Killing Me Softly with his song was one of the defining songs of my high school years, and for a long time, I thought that was as far as it went. This was an interesting throwback R&B song that became a huge hit, and that was the end of the story. I did always think it seemed like an interesting kind of stripped-down arrangement, and it was only several years later that I learned that actually there was an earlier rendition of the song that was a more traditional 70s-style jazz soul arrangement. I first heard Roberta Flack's version of the song when I was in college, and I loved it. A more fleshed out, harmonically lush rendition of a song that I'd thought for several years had been written in the 1990s. But then I spent several years mistakenly thinking that Flack had written the song and that this version, her version, was the original recording. Wrong again. Only recently did I learn the full story of Killing Me Softly with his song, and of Lori Lieberman, the first singer to ever record it, way back in 1971. And that's what we're going to be talking about on this episode, this brilliant, decade-spanning, genre-hopping song. Killing Me Softly with his song, with its unforgettable melody and those irresistible lyrics, sung three different times by three very different singers. Mm-hmm. 
So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at the song itself as originally recorded in 1971, and then we're going to look at two subsequent reimaginings of the song and the ways those reimaginings reworked aspects of the song while staying true to all the things that make it great. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's get right into it. Vital Stats, Killing Me Softly with his song, was composed by Charles Fox with lyrics by Norman Gimbel, though there's actually a kind of more complicated, contested story behind the full creation of this song, which we'll get into in a bit. Like I've said, the song was first recorded by a young singer named Lori Lieberman, who recorded it in 1971 and released it in 1972. It wasn't a big hit, but it was the first. Lieberman's version is really nice, and it provides a good template that we'll use for understanding the basic structure and composition of the song. I do want to note that it's actually hard to find the original recording on streaming services. It was released in 1972 as the lead track on Lori Lieberman's self-titled record. I own the original album on vinyl, but my copy is pretty distressed. It's an old record, and it was kind of hard to find a high-quality digital transfer online. I found an okay one on YouTube that'll do for reference purposes, but I figured that was all worth mentioning. Singing my life with his Shortly after Lieberman released it, the singer and pianist Roberta Flack heard that recording and decided that she wanted to cover it. So she played piano and rearranged and somewhat reimagined the song, along with a genuinely killin' rhythm section. And this version, the Roberta Flack version, broke through. This was a number one hit in multiple countries, and it remains the most elaborate and fully fleshed out version of the song. So I came to see him to listen for a while. Flax version has got a ton going on, and it's a really delightful rendition. It's a great example of how a great musician can recognize a great song and reimagine it. Of course, neither of those versions of the song were probably the version that a lot of you heard first. You heard a different version first because more than 20 years later, the song returned a second time on Fuji's groundbreaking 1996 album, The Score. Featuring a killer vocal performance by Lauren Hill, the Fuji's version was even more of a hit than the Roberta Flack version. It hit number one all over the world. It was everywhere in 1996. And like I said, it was the first version of the song that I ever heard. And I still remember hearing Lauren Hill sing that opening refrain and feeling this sense of familiarity, like I already knew this song. Strumming my pain with his fingers, singing my life. Now, there's a chance that I had heard it before because Flack's version was a big hit, and there had been a bunch of covers of it as well since then, but I think that what I was reacting to was just the song itself. There's this certain logical, beautiful timelessness to the composition of this song, both its lyrics and its music, and it carries you along in this certain way, like you know where it's going, even if you've never heard it before. Yo. Yeah, yeah. 
All three versions of the song have that same quality, which I think speaks both to something inherent in the song itself, but also to the lineage of these three vocalists who recorded it, as each woman heard something in the previous one's recording that inspired her to carry on some similar quality in her own version. So let's go all the way back to 1971 and start with Lieberman's version, which is a straightforward rendition of the song that'll let us just focus on the chords, the melody, and the lyrics. Lori Lieberman was just 19 years old when she recorded this song, and her story ties in with that contested backstory of the tune's genesis. As Lieberman tells it, and as Fox and Gimble, the credited songwriters, also told it back in the 1970s, Lieberman attended a Don McLean show at the Troubadour in L.A. And as it happens, the Troubadour, the site of famous performances by Joni Mitchell, James Taylor, Carole King, Donny Hathaway, quite a scene around that club in the early 1970s. So Lori Lieberman sees Don McLean play, and this is right when American Pie is climbing the charts. Of course, that's still being the song that he's most famous for, but when she sees sees him, he plays another song of his, a gorgeous song called Empty Chairs. And I wonder if you know that I never understood that although you said you'd go until you did, I never thought you According to Lieberman, and also, incidentally, a friend that she attended the show with, she was so moved by McLean's performance that she began scribbling poetry down on a napkin, which was something that she liked to do. So Lieberman had signed a contract with the older and more established songwriter Gimbal, and the two had actually also begun a romantic relationship, which is just sort of worth keeping in mind for the context for this whole thing. So she called him up because they were working together. She shared the story with him and also the poetry that she'd been writing. And he already had a song title in his notebook that fit with what she was describing. And so he took kind of her story and fit it in with lyrics that he wrote and that kind of concept that he'd had. And he sent that all off to Charles Fox, the composer, to put that all to music. And the song was born. And there he was, this young boy, a stranger to my strumming my pain with his fingers. That's a lovely origin story for a song that remains one of the most profound expressions of what it can mean to just deeply experience a musical performance. This young singer sees a live performance, and the man on stage performing so deeply moves her that she feels physically touched by what he's doing. Like, he's reached out and he's playing her own pain along with his guitar, that he's singing her life along with the lyrics to his song. That's how deeply his music touches her. And I don't know about you, but I've totally felt that way watching someone sing a beautiful song that I've never heard before. Embarrassed 
So that was what Flack heard, and that was what inspired her to record her own version of the song. And after that, when the song gets really big, that's where things get much uglier. Lieberman and the much older Gimbal broke up. Gimbal and Fox wouldn't let her out of their contract with them. Eventually, they stopped mentioning her role in the creation of the song. And of course, because Lieberman wasn't listed as a songwriter, she didn't get any royalties for what was now a really big hit. I'm basing most of my understanding of this on a 2020 Washington Post story that includes a lengthy interview with Lori Lieberman that I'll link in the show notes and that I think you should go read. Lieberman has never gotten a songwriting credit for the song, and she says she doesn't even want one. She doesn't dispute that Fox and Gimbel wrote the song. She just helped write it, too. And she says she just wants the full story out there on the record because it was an important part of her life. And that's why she talked to the Washington Post. And since she doesn't really seem to want anything other than that, that makes me inclined to believe her version of the story, along with the fact that Gimbal and Fox are on the record back in the day corroborating her version of events. So not the first song or the last song to have a contested origin. I just thought that I'd mention all of that because it's worth keeping in mind. So let's talk about the song because there's a lot to talk about with this song that's totally undisputed. Fox and Gimbal wrote some great music and lyrics and Lori Lieberman, inspired by an experience that led to the creation of the song itself, performed it wonderfully. So let's get into it. Killing Me Softly with his song is a pretty straightforward song in terms of its form. There's a verse and there's a chorus, and each of the three versions that we're going to talk about on this episode experiments with some sort of instrumental wordless verse that fills in kind of like a bridge, but for the most part, all three versions stick pretty close to the same form. Lieberman's version is in the key of A-flat. Flax is too, but we're sticking with Lieberman's version for now. So it's in the key of A-flat major. The arrangement is super straightforward. Piano, guitar, lead vocals, some harmony vocals, some strings, nothing really surprising or groundbreaking. But that's what makes it nice and easy to follow and analyze just to get our sense of, like, the song itself. So I want to try to avoid doing the thing where I just say a bunch of chords in order, A-flat, B-flat minor, E-flat, D-flat. Um, I don't really want to do that because I think it's a little more interesting to look at this song just in terms of the lines and the kind of peaks and valleys of the melody and the harmony and the way that they move together. Charles Fox took a really classic songwriterly approach to this melody and harmony, and the whole thing moves along in these nice, looping, predictable lines. It's constantly bouncing back and forth between A-flat major and F minor, the relative minor, and the melody is so sequential and orderly, it's a big part of why this song sounds like you've already heard it, even if you've never heard it before. So to understand this song, there are two theoretical concepts that I want to explain, and they're actually two things that have come up pretty frequently on Strong Songs, so they'll be familiar to anyone who's been listening for any length of time. The first I already mentioned is the concept of relative major and relative minor, and the second is the circle of fourths, a.k.a the circle of fifths. So first, relative major and relative minor. So every chord, be it major or minor, has a relative that's the other quality. So every major chord has a relative minor and vice versa. In this case, the song is in the key of A flat major, and that chord sounds like this. 
The relative minor to A flat major is F minor, which has all the same notes as A flat major, but it just stacks them differently and puts them over an F instead of over an A flat. So a lot of what Killing Me Softly is doing is charting these courses back and forth between F minor and A flat major. Those are two really important chords, and that's an important concept to at least kind of understand when talking about this song. Those are kind of the north and south pole of this song, and it spends a lot of time getting from one to the other and back again from this brighter major sound to this darker minor sound. So the other concept that's important is the circle of fourths, because this song generally moves around the circle of fourths, and that's a lot of what gives it its sort of logical progression of chords. I actually recorded a much longer and more detailed explanation of the circle of fourths last year, last August, in a mailbag episode called Lo-Fi Beats and the Circle of Fourths. The very short version is, if you take the 12 notes that exist in popular modern harmony and you make each one its own major chord, you know what, actually, no, I, I already did this on that q episode, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, so just know the circle of fourths is a way of moving through chords that sounds really logical and natural to anyone who's listened to a lot of sort of modern pop music. It's just a pretty familiar way of moving chords around, and this song does that a lot, which is why it sounds so logical, and why part of your ear just feels like you know where it's going, and then why, when it moves away from the circle of fourths, it feels so surprising. Killing Me Softly takes place around the A-flat major area of that circle, and the other chords are all kind of next-door neighbors or right near that house. And that's what gives the song its logical, predictable quality when it goes from F minor to B-flat minor to E-flat major to A-flat major to D-flat major to G-flat major, which is a chord progression that's in the chorus. That's the circle of fourths, and that's why it sounds that certain way that it sounds. Of course, Fox also takes the opportunity in a few places to move outside of that established harmony. We actually just heard one, and those moments are always interesting and surprising. So that's the big picture. Let's get a little bit more granular and go through the verse and then the chorus and sort of chart the contours of this song. As I've mentioned, this song uses repetition a lot, and it uses it to great effect. It uses it on the chorus with the title of the song repeating, and it also uses it with the melodies, which repeat and then slightly change to add contour. So let's start at the top of the verse. Listen to this line and try to picture it in your head. I heard he sang a good song I heard he had a star And so I came to see him to listen for a while So let's think of that as two phrases which match up with the lyrics. First, we've got, I heard he sang a good song. I heard he had a style. Sort of goes up. I heard he had a good song. And then it walks down. I heard he had a style. The melody underneath that phrase is centered around an A-flat major chord, the one major chord. It does a two, and then a five, and then a one, that A-flat, which is as common a chord progression as there is, and one that actually moves around the circle of fourths. It actually then goes one more step around the circle to a D-flat at the end of the phrase. So it goes two, five, one, four. Really standard chord progression that moves around the circle and centers around one major, that A-flat major. I heard he sang a good 
Now the second phrase starts very similarly. It's a two to five in the harmony and the melody. And so I came to see him. It starts similarly, but even there, came to see him. It starts climbing up, and then it resolves. And listen for a while to that F minor chord, which is the relative minor, instead of resolving to an A flat major like the first phrase. And so I came to see him. So that's the first two phrases. The third and final phrase does something neat that's also very classic. It combines both of those poles, the A flat major and the F minor, into the same phrase. First, it leads back to major, so it goes two, five, one to major, and then it abruptly switches to a C dominant chord, which is the five of six, um, or at least that's the technical term for it. It's the chord that leads to F minor, and it has a non-diatonic tone. It has this E natural. Which is a kind of intense sound. It,、uh, it feels like it really wants to go somewhere, and it leads to this dramatic feeling and a dramatic chromatic movement in the melody. Stranger to my eyes, you get that nice chromatic climb up that I think is a real hallmark of this song. So let's listen back to that whole verse, and I'll play along with the chords on piano. And don't focus too much on the individual chords. Just listen again to the arc and the sweep of the melody down, then up, then down again, and the harmony. And try to follow as that harmony bounces back and forth from major to the relative minor, back to major, and then abruptly and dramatically back to minor for the start of the chorus. Here we go. Okay, so this chorus. This is a fantastic chorus, and this chorus is kind of the thing about this song that's given it this eternal life. I think it's a fantastic chorus because of how the first half of the chorus and the second half of the chorus fit together. It starts out very inside the lines, just like the verse. It's doing pretty inside chord movements, just around the circle F minor, B flat minor, E flat, A flat, two five one, that kind of thing. And the melody is also really inside. I mean, it starts on an F minor chord, and the melody. Strumming my pain with his. That's just an A flat, an F, and a C. So that's just the chord.、It's、just the melody sings straight down the chord. Strumming my pain with his fingers, and then we resolve to an E flat major. Singing my life with his words. That's the same thing. Just singing straight down the chords. So it's really down the middle at first. But then, killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his song. 
Okay, so for starters, Killing Me Softly with his song is just an incredible lyric. That is a banger lyric. No two ways about it. It's the kind of lyric that'll make any listener stop and pay attention. I like all the lyrics of this chorus, strumming my pain with his fingers, singing my life with his words. Those are lovely and evocative phrases, but then tying it all together with Killing Me Softly with his song, I mean, yeah, it's it's an all-timer lyric. Killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his song. There's just that tension built into this song, right? A kind of contradiction that expresses itself in those lyrics, killing me softly. I mean, that's just a really evocative three words to put together in the first place, but killing me softly with his song. I mean, yeah, that's that's amazing. But it's not just the lyrics that make this chorus great, it's also the way that they fit into the music. So for starters, this song has had B-flat minor chords all over the place. The two minor chord turns up all the time, it was all over the verse, it happened at the beginning of the chorus where they played an F minor chord and then a B-flat minor chord right after it, but here it goes to an F minor chord and then it goes to a B-flat major chord, which is a much brighter sound and that's the only time that a B-flat major happens in this song, is right there in the middle of the chorus right as it's starting to turn it around. It's a pretty big difference. Let me show you what I'm talking about. So first I'm going to sing that first statement of Killing Me Softly with his song and I'm going to go to minor the way that the song does most of the time when there's a B flat chord. Killing me softly with his song And now I'm going to do it again and I'm going to go to major. Listen to how different this sounds. Killing me softly with his song pretty different, right? Listen for it. It's such a nice little shift, and it signals a shift into more adventurous harmony for this second half of the chorus, especially these final two chords. So those final two chords are pretty cool. First we've got a G flat major sharp four, which is a kind of Lydian sound, and the melody is sitting on that sharp four, so it really emphasizes that kind of different sound of the chord, and then it resolves not to F minor, but to F major. It actually ends on the parallel major, it's called, to the relative minor, to A flat major. The point is it sounds pretty different, like that's an unusual place for it to resolve, and while it sounds completely natural in context, going from a G flat to an F is a half-step movement of major chords, which is a little bit funky if you put them right next to one another. So remember that sound, because that's going to be important later. So the other big thing that I think is remarkable about this chorus is the rhythmic phrasing and the way that it uses repetition and displacement. It's so natural sounding that you probably never thought about it, but this is actually a pretty rhythmically hip chorus. So I keep calling those first two phrases very inside, and that's because they're kind of plain in every way. That applies to the rhythms as well as the harmony and the melody. The first two phrases are just two bars long a piece. They start right on the downbeat, strumming my pain with his fingers. It's just two bars singing my life with his words two bars but then things get interesting killing me softly with his song killing me softly 
with his song. So right there in that first repetition, the phrase is a little bit shorter, and that repeat, that second statement of "Killing Me Softly" with his song, that comes in on two. So that comes in in the midpoint of the phrase. So suddenly the phrase turns around, and then it stays turned around for the rest of the chorus. So we go from. Killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his song, telling my whole life with his words. All of that is actually turned around from where it was at the beginning of the chorus. I think that's really clever because it puts those really kind of plain spoken inside phrases at the beginning of the chorus in a different kind of context because they set your expectation one way. You hear, okay. Strumming my pain with his fingers, and you think you know what you're gonna get, but then when "Killing Me Softly" with his song repeats, it just kind of throws you off, and it's pretty cool. I think it really lends the second half of this chorus the kind of surprising, interesting energy that it needs to catch your attention. Killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his song, telling my whole. It's really how the song gets away with repeating the title two times after she initially sings it. Three of the four phrases in the second half of this chorus are lyrically identical, "Killing me softly with his song," but it doesn't sound repetitive in the context of the song, and that's entirely because of that rhythmic displacement. Like, imagine how dull it would sound without that displacement. Okay, check this out. Killing me softly with his song. Killing me softly with his song. Telling my whole life. I can't even keep it going. This is—it kind of defeats the entire point of the song. It's wild when you remove that rhythmic displacement. The phrase, the repetition, the whole thing becomes inert, and the song feels almost pointless. Like you built up to a totally flat line that isn't going anywhere. The lyric repeats, and it just sounds repetitive instead of dynamic. Killing me softly with his song. Killing me softly with his song. <laughs> Ugh! It's just so flat and bad. I'm I'm sorry for subjecting you to that. <laughs> Killing me softly with his song. Killing me softly. You just need that displacement. It helps the second half of the chorus just flow and kind of cascade downward to that unusual but natural feeling resolution. And that's basically it in terms of the basic composition of this song. This is a song that lives and dies on the strength of its very strong chorus, and the rest of the verses just flesh out Lieberman's basic story: that of seeing a transformational musical performance and being so moved by it. So I want to move forward a couple of years because, as strong as the foundational song is, and as much as I like Lieberman's performance of it, this really is an example of one of those songs that needed a second person to hear it and to reinterpret it in order to really open it up and help it meet its. Potential. That someone is vocalist and keyboardist Roberta Flack, who heard it on a flight and decided she needed to record it. And her hit reinterpretation starts changing things right from the drop. 
Strumming my pain with his fingers <laughs> Singing my life with his words Killing me softly with his song Killing me softly It's so good. Roberta Flack's version of this song really brings the whole song to bright and shining life. There are a ton of great ideas hitting all at once right from the start. And while it's a great recording on its own, it's also a great example of the power of arranging and audio production. Lori Lieberman's recording of the song, that's lovely as well, especially in how stripped down it is. So it's not like a fair comparison to say that Roberta Flack's version is better just because it has more going on, but it does feel like a second version. That's kind of the magic of covers in general. You don't have to be the first person to sing a song. You kind of know what the song is. So when you set about singing it, your goal is to figure out what it is that you can bring to it as an artist, as a singer, as an arranger, to make it different, to put your own spin on it. And Roberta Flack certainly does that. I heard he sang a good song. I heard he had a style. It's such a good rendition of this song. This version features Flack on keys and vocals, Eric Gale on guitar, Grady Tate on drums. Grady Tate, a really great drummer. Ralph McDonald is playing percussion. And of course, jazz legend Ron Carter on the bass. So, this band means business. There are several different things about this arrangement that stick out to me. The first thing I want to clock is actually just a big change that Flack makes to the song's form. Instead of beginning with the verse, Roberta Flack chooses to begin with a stripped-down rendition of the chorus. So we just begin with her voice right there on the chorus. Strumming my pain with his fingers Singing my life with his words It's such an arresting way to begin the song, and it gets right to the song's strongest feature, that chorus. By making it nothing but keyboard and vocals, there's still a feeling like this is an introduction, and there's still room for the song to grow when the rhythm section does come in for the vamp ahead of the first verse. Like it still feels like we're in intro land here, even though technically we just heard the chorus for the first time. It's a neat trick. Another cool thing about that stripped down chorus at the top is the fact that by keeping the arrangement so simple, we can really focus on Flack's vocals and more specifically her harmony vocals. There are a ton of different Roberta Flacks singing on this recording, and there's way too many for me to chronicle all of them, but it's fun to just sit back when you're listening to this and try to pick out individual parts. And here at the start of the song, that's actually really easy to do. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look through some of these harmonies on this opening chorus. So for the first phrase, it's just her, a single lead part. Strumming my pain with his fingers. It's beautifully sung, but that's really just one part, which makes the harmony part that comes in for the second phrase stand out. Singing my 
my life with his words. It's a nice top part, right? So the main part is singing my life with his words. And that harmony part just goes from two to one in the key of A flat major. Singing my life with his words. Super simple stuff, but it sounds really lovely, and of course, sounds better when she sings it, and it sounds better up the octave. Singing my life with his words. The third phrase is where it really opens up, and if you remember, this is also the phrase where that surprise B flat major chord happens. Flack certainly appreciated how fun that chord is, and the third harmony part that she adds here makes the most of it. Killing me softly with his song. Killing me softly. So for this one, I actually want to play piano along with each of the three most prominent vocal parts. So first, in the middle, there's the lead part, which sings the familiar melody, the one that we've already heard. Listen for that one in the recording, and I'll play along. Killing me softly with his song. Killing me softly. So that's probably the easiest to hear. It's the most forward in the mix, and it's the melody that you already know. Now let's focus on the lower harmony, which is panned over to the right. This is the one that really outlines that B flat major chord because it starts on an F and walks down to a D natural, which is a note that's outside of the song's key, and that really emphasizes the fact that this is a kind of unusual chord. Now listen to the recording, and I'll play along with piano. It's over to the right. Try to really focus just on that line. Killing me softly with his song. Killing me softly with his song. And last, we have the top harmony, which is also really nice. It starts up on a high C, and it walks down and just sits on an A flat for most of the phrase, just repeating the same note while the other parts move around. So it's a nice contrast to those more mobile melodies. It's really just sitting there on that A flat. I love when a top harmony part does this. It's kind of fun to sing parts like this and definitely fun to kind of notice them since they tend to not catch your ear as much as the melodies that are moving around a lot. Now let's listen and I'll play along with it. Killing me softly with his song. Killing me softly with his song. Play those three lines together on the piano, and you've got a beautiful and functional outline of the chord progression of this part of the chorus. This is exactly the kind of backup harmony that a pianist would come up with, so it's no surprise that this is what Roberta Flack sings. So now let's listen to the entire recording just on that phrase and try to follow all three of those parts. The lead part there in the middle, most forward in the mix, the low harmony over to the right, and that upper harmony way up high with that intense reverb that pushes it even further back in the mix. Ears on, see what you can hear. Killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his song. And now that you've got those harmony parts all in your ear, just listen to the rest of the phrase as she cascades over those displaced statements of the song's title. Just listen to how beautiful this is. Telling my whole life with his words, killing me softly. With his song 
Okay, so I want you to listen to that entire opening chorus one more time and just really open your ears up to it. Notice everything we just talked about and listen to all of those vocal harmony parts. Hear how she layers them in. She starts with just her lead part, then she layers in a higher part for the second phrase, then a lead part, the higher part, and a lower harmony part for the third phrase, continuing and spiraling downward and outward through the rest of the fourth phrase as the music seems to sink into this reverb ring just in time for the rhythm section to emerge from the quiet. Strumming my pain with his fingers Singing my life with his words Killing me softly with his song Killing me softly with his song Telling my whole life with his words Killing me softly I mean, that could have been it. That could have been Roberta Flack's entire version of this song, and that probably would have been enough. But no, she's got way, way more to contribute. So just a word to the band here. I dig this groove that they're doing. It's this kind of bossa-inspired jazz thing. B-flat minor to E-flat over a bass pedal tone from Ron Carter there at the top. A lot of pedal tones in Strong Songs Season 5 so far. I dig this groove that Grady Tate is doing. He's got his hi-hat going steady, and then he's putting both the pop and the thump, both the snare and the kick, on three. Boom, boom, boom. He doesn't even actually do some of those accents that I'm singing. They just naturally want to be there. It's a cool groove and a really distinct one. It adds to that loosely samba-ish pulse that this song has. And yeah, I don't have a ton of time to spend on this rhythm section, but I wanted to at least mention how wonderfully I think that they played on this track. I heard he sang a good song I heard he had a style And so I came to see Black brings such a different vibe to the vocal performance on this recording. There's this laid-back, more jazz-inflected thing that she's doing, and it changes the whole emotional feel of the song. There's this wistfulness to her performance. It's a moral world-weary feeling, thanks largely to that distinct, expressive way that Roberta Flack sings. There's loads more cool stuff in this recording, and I hope that you'll keep an ear out for it the next time that you listen to it. Ralph McDonald's percussion is particularly nice. I love these little triangle parts that he's adding. (laughs) Most of the rest of the song follows pretty much the same template that we've already laid out. So I want to focus on something that happens toward the end of the recording, which is another major change that Flack makes to the original arrangement. So she sings the chorus four times in total, counting that opening time through the chorus. And while you might not notice it while listening, each one is more intense and dramatic than the last one, which lines up with the sort of emotional narrative of the song. Listen to the end of each chorus in order, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Here's the very first chorus. 
And now here's the end of the second one. Here's the third one. A lot more going on in that third one, right? The keyboard is playing those nice little lines. There's just a more dramatic backup vocal. So now listen to the fourth one. It's a real example of the strength of Flack's conception here as an arranger. She's built the song into this emotional story. She's subtly layered in this complexity and intensity as it goes until it reaches this climactic point that just didn't really exist in the original recording. And here's where that second big change comes into play. At the end of that fourth chorus, instead of going into another verse, Flack and her army of cloned backup singers perform this sort of wordless climactic new section harmonizing a new melody over the chorus harmony. This part of the song wasn't Fox, this wasn't Gimbal or Lieberman. This section, this beautiful section, this was all Roberta Flack. And here at the end... That last little change just kills me. Roberta Flack, too, apparently noticed how cool it is that this song's chorus resolves from a G flat down a half step to F. And she decided to add a little riff to emphasize that she throws in this slinky, surprising little invented melody all the way at the end of the song, adding this Phrygian flavor to things that I certainly didn't see coming, but somehow fits perfectly. Remember this riff, because it's going to come up again. Roberta Flack's version of Killing Me Softly was a huge hit, and it defined this song for a generation of listeners as well as a generation of singers. But like I've said, it was not actually the first version of the song that I and many others heard when Lauryn Hill and Fuji's re-recorded it in 1996. From the start, it's clear that Fuji's version owes a lot to Roberta Flack's interpretation. They start right on the chorus, though the instrument accompanying the vocal sounds more like an organ than an electric piano, and that combined with layered harmonies that stay above Hill's lead line gives the recording a slightly more angelic, almost spiritual quality. Listen to that. With his words killing me softly. With right as the verse comes in, the song gets a new flavor. Yeah. <laughs> I love that sample. That riff is sampled from a 1990 tribe called Quest song called Bonita Applebaum. Bonita, 
to meet you. I don't know quite why it works when Fuji's use it in their version of Killing Me Softly with his song, but it does work somehow. Gone is the light bossa-inflected groove of Roberta Flack's version, and in its place is this strong, funky breakbeat thing that holds, without harmony, through Lauren Hill, or L as Wyclef Jean calls her, through L's first verse. Hey yo, L, you know you got the lyrics. I heard he sang a good song. It's impressive just how well Lauren Hill carries this song, and it's impressive that this song was as big of a hit as it was, given that a lot of it is kind of unaccompanied vocals or really stripped down vocals and vocal harmony. Like this is just vocals and drums, and then bass. It's an inspired reinterpretation, and it works as well as it does in part because Roberta Flack already did her own inspired reinterpretation. Since Flack already did a fleshed-out, traditionally arranged soul jazz version of the song, it makes sense that Fuji's would take a different approach, and they'd strip it down and rebuild it into something different, something starker and harder-hitting. I really love how Lauren Hill sings this, and at the time, it didn't feel at all weird that a super stripped-down version of a 25-year-old song would somehow become a massive worldwide hit in 1996. It felt like the most natural thing in the world because, I mean, we'd all heard the song, and the song was great. That's thanks in large part to Hill's performance, which borrows just enough from Flack to make it sound timeless, but it definitely has her own flavor and her own style. She's doing this down a half step, she's in the key of G, and she's just found a real sweet spot for her voice. Then there are all those little additions that Fuji's add. There's that Tribe Called Quest sample. There's Wyclef chiming in during the chorus one time, two times. It's another thing where I don't really know why it works. But it's just indelible. It's ingrained in my brain ever since the first time I heard it. And it's just a part of this song to me. Now listen to the bass really closely right here. With his song. As Wyclef calls out for L to take him to the bridge, Fuji's return to that climactic, wordless chorus reprisal that Roberta Flack added to the song. And if you heard that little lick in the bass, they make even more of that funky half-step motion at the end of the chorus. Another thing that Roberta Flack noticed about the original and brought up to the front, now Fuji's noticed Roberta Flack doing it, and they pushed it even further. Get ready for this. (laughs) 
How far this song came over the course of three decades and three different interpretations. It's a testament to the interpretive power of music and the way that creative arrangement and performance can give a song new life again and again until it's both recognizable and reborn. So it began as a lovely personal true story recounted by the folk singer who lived it. was expanded into a wistful, elaborate jazz performance. And then was stripped down and repurposed again into a breakbeat hip-hop high-wire act. And it's in this way that a song can transcend its creation and spread and grow in beautiful and unexpected ways. How Norman Gimbel and Charles Fox could take Lieberman's story and combine it with those gorgeous lyrics and that evocative music. And three different musicians could hear three very different things in the resulting song, not just by reading the notes and words on the page, but by listening to one another and continuing on in the long-standing oral musical tradition. Listening to this song these past few weeks, performed by these three singers and so many more, I found that time has become a fluid thing. Each singer in each era finds a different way to express what the story means to them, or meant to them. And the decades all begin to blend together into a single, timeless space. And so we go back, back to the day when a young singer sat in the crowd at the troubadour and heard a song so beautiful she'd never forget it. Lieberman stopped making music for a long period of time after the 1970s, but she finally did return in 1995, first with the album A Thousand Dreams, on which she included a re-recorded version of Killing Me Softly. It's a beautiful recording. Lieberman's voice sounds full and strong. And if I listen closely, I hear all the years that passed in between as one singer formed a new relationship with a song and the story, her story, that it tells. With his words She would go on to make the song a regular part of her act, with her most recent version being a vulnerable, jazz-inflected take on her 2022 album, Truly. Strumming my pain with his fingers Singing my life with his words Killing me Lieberman, now 71, still carries that same truth through her performance, just like she did 50 years ago. With his song Telling my whole life With his words Killing me softly 
with his song. No matter when she sang it, at the start or the twilight of her career, or in 1995 at the start of her second act, she's both the same woman and somehow someone new each time. In 2010, Lieberman gave an interview to Face Culture where she talked about her complicated relationship with this song and how it's changed over time. As the years went by, um, I kind of disclaimed it as though it wasn't a part of me. And then, as I said, Lauren Hill recorded it and my kids thought I was cool. And now I recorded it again on this record because um, I'm not proud of it. I now... I now go, you know, I heard he sang a good song, and it's like, that's me, you know, and that, that, that's, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I sing the song now with compassion for who I was back then. And that's Killing Me Softly, the story that became a song. Every day we're one day further from the day Lori Lieberman sat down at that show in Los Angeles. Who knows what this song might become next? With his and that'll do it for my analysis of Killing Me Softly with his song with music by Charles Fox, lyrics by Norman Gimbel with uncredited contributions from Lori Lieberman, performed by Lieberman, Roberta Flack, and Lauren Hill. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope this song doesn't get too stuck in your head. It has been wickedly stuck in my head for the past couple of weeks, and it hasn't been entirely terrible because it's a good song, but still, man, this is one catchy tune. It is good to be back making new episodes of Strong Songs, and I've got some really fun stuff planned for the rest of Season 5. As always, I hope you'll consider signing up to support this show over on Patreon. Doing so will get you early access to new episodes of the show, along with some other little extras, but mostly, you'll just be helping me keep making this show since I make it entirely by myself and it is totally funded by listeners over on Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash strong songs to sign up. There's also a link down in the show notes for one-time donations. There's plenty of other stuff down in the show notes as well. Playlists for all the songs I've talked about in the show, a link to my newsletter, some social media links, though I'm not really on social media that much these days. There's a link to the strong song store for some merch and we're working on some new merch for season five. This episode's outro solo is an extremely cool one. As you probably know, I've put up a play-along file for anyone who wants to record an outro solo for Strong Songs, and I featured a number of listener solos so far. This one has got to be the most unusual, though, or at least the biggest instrument. Earlier this year, I heard from Joey Brink, who's a professor of music at the University of Denver, and he'd recorded an outro solo on the Carillon, which is a massive tower of bells, often hung up in a tower and controlled with a keyboard. It is a huge, uncommon instrument, and I certainly do didn't expect to have an outro solo played with one, but if you want to see a video of Joey playing his solo, he posted one to YouTube, and I'll link to that down in the show notes. And hey, let this be a reminder that whatever instrument you play, you can record an outro solo, and I hope that you do. That'll do it for now. Stick around for Joey Brink on the Carillon, and I'll see you in two weeks for more Strong Songs. Strong Songs.